Hey, it's Ryan Doyle from TDR's Guaranteed Money. We break down Caesar's first quarter earnings report. We talk a little bit about an opportunity missed when it comes to sports wagering on F1. And listen to the end of this show. I promise you, the most interesting conversation I've ever heard, and hell, I was a part of it, when it comes to the metaverse. You're not going to want to miss it. That and more as Guaranteed Money gets rolling. And welcome to TDR's Guaranteed Money. I am Ryan Doyle. That is millennial entrepreneur Anthony Verrill. A good day to you, sir. How's it going? How good. is Let me, it can going? I start, can I start by thanking the people who listen to this and watch this podcast? Because you can get us on Apple uh, Podcasts. You can get us on Spotify. Obviously, YouTube is a big driver. A lot of people watch and leave comments on YouTube. And if you're watching this, please uh, feel free to leave us a comment on anything. We'd love to interact and, and have a conversation with you. But, you know, I, I realized the other day, Anthony, we've been doing this since the 28th of January, which is three months. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the show has seen absolutely incredible growth, way beyond our expectations. Uh, so uh, just a big word of thanks to the people who are loyally subscribing to the channel and watching this week in and week out because we're pumping out a lot of product and yeah. we appreciate the fact there's a lot of eyeballs watching for a very long time. So thank you for that. Yeah, it's great. It's it's been a it's been a good three months. It's been an easy three months. I mean, yeah, it's definitely much appreciated for all the uh, the listeners and and people out there that are engaging with the content, engaging with the platform. Um, it's yeah. uh, it's it's awesome. Look forward to the continued growth of it. And this is the part where I tell everybody, all views in the Guaranteed Money podcast and the guests in this podcast are purely opinion. You should not treat any opinions expressed by us or our guests as investment advice. The views in this podcast are solely intended to be informational and not investment advice. So I think that was pretty fast if I can yeah, say good. so myself. Uh, here's, here's what I will say, and I, we'll get to basketball a little later, uh, but I want you next time I say I'm going to bet on the Dallas Mavericks to punch me in the face until I Why are out. you? Why? Why? I mean, are you, are, you, are you some sort of masochist all of a sudden? Don't like know what's happening. Like, here's the thing, Luca. I mean, you you can't bet on Luca Doncic by himself to beat fucking Phoenix. Like no. the the rest of the team sucks. Like they're a good unit. They play they play fluid basketball. They play defense, but they're not scorers. Like for to me, like Dallas doesn't even sure they deserve to be in the playoffs. I mean, telling saying they don't deserve to be in the playoffs might be a fucking strong take. Um, but I don't think they're even. The least bit uh, comparable to any of the of the uh, of the top teams in the West. It's a caliber issue. I think that's what it is. You're right. They play competent basketball. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, like, but it's Luca and the Washington Generals. I mean, that's it's basically Luca Star. It it's it, it, it's Luca Star power. Which I mean, I think if Luca's dropping fifty a night, they still can't beat uh, Phoenix or Golden State. It's just well, not going to happen. 40, what he had, 46, 47 40, in game 47, one. He dropped 47, yeah. Nothing. That did nothing. That, like, I mean, who's their second there. Who's their second scorer? Kleber? Yeah, I guess. Because he's, okay. he's been pretty hot from behind the, behind the line. I, I, yet I sit there. I sit there. And I think a lot of people have done this before. And I talk myself into a play. I'm sitting there. I'm like, well, you know, Phoenix had a really strong start in game one. That's not going to yeah. happen again in game two. Obviously, yeah. you know, the Mavs closed game one really well. They're going to take this one away. You know, it's six, seven points. You're dangling that point spread out there. I, clearly, I'm going to take the points. And then it's just a fucking blowout. So yeah. I am, say it with me. I am not going to bet on the I wouldn't. I wouldn't. That being said, they're probably going to now take both games in Dallas. <laughs> Um, it's a perfect we'll, we'll, time not to give yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, 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 but we'll see. Uh, listen, we'll start off. This is an interesting look at the market in general, and then we'll dive into some of the companies that have had their earnings calls this week because Caesars uh, is the big one that has made headlines. But yeah, the yeah. number of people 
regularly betting on sports increased by 80% in 2021. The total betting handle, this is in the United States, increased by 165%. That's $57 billion. Now, obviously, the stocks don't necessarily reflect that. In most cases, we know that they don't. But yeah. when you look at the number, is this is this simply just more states coming online or is this a whole new section of people that weren't interested in the space to begin with that because of savvy marketing, because of bonuses, because of incentives have decided to jump in the pool? To be honest, I don't think it's anything except for access. Um, all it is is all, all it is is access. I mean, all of my friends who are betting right now, they weren't betting two years ago. I mean, they didn't know where to find a book. They didn't want to deal with a book. Um, they just couldn't get access to it. Now they have access to it. They're all they're all all over the apps: DraftKings, FanDuel, Caesars, MGM. Um, people that I that, that that I'm really good friends with who never had an interest in betting. Now they're like wow, playing okay. like play, player props and like betting on games. And I, I think it's going to be a major function of these companies to keep this uh, this user base. Um, via their loyalty programs and technology and really creating incentive structures to to keep them sticky. But I think it's purely, purely access. Um, and and, and it's, it's entertainment. Well, I wonder then if that's the case, I wonder how much, you know, social media is to play in all of it. Tons. Because if you've got Tons. a social media feed, right? Like, I mean, those, those big player prop bets, let's face facts, player prop bets were not a massive thing five years ago. They're, they're no. mostly driven by Instagram and TikTok. And that's really where a lot of yeah. this is coming from. And I'm guessing a lot of the people you're talking about have been exposed to it, haven't had a, an avenue to play. Yeah. Now they've got one. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm like listening to like bet like every I listen to Electra. I don't know why I do it, but I listen to talk radio in my car every hey, 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 hey. every time I'm from. every time I'm in the car. From. I know. And, and I, I don't even think about it. It just stays on in my car for the most part. Um, so every morning at like 11, bet QL comes on. And they don't even talk about games anymore. All they're talking about is people's PRAs, uh, points, rebounds, and assists for people that don't know. And then uh, their their lines, like where they're looking for the inefficiencies and player props. It's like 90% player props, 10% actual game line action. That's interesting. That's what, yeah. you know, I find the same thing because I listen to VEASAN every morning. Uh, of course, uh, great, great work that they do out in Vegas. And and it's the same kind of deal. I mean, they do go a little bit more in-depth in games, but, I mean, the, the buffet seems to be filled with a bunch of people who want to bet on people. That's where the information is now. Yeah, and, I mean, when you really look at it from, I'd say, a deeper point of view, it's probably riskier to bet on the player versus 100%. the team. 100%. 100%. Because, I mean, a player can have an off night, but the team could still win because someone's going to step up. But I mean, it's. I was thinking about that the other day. I'm like, are player props sucker bets, or are player props like really just? Are, are you really truly at a big disadvantage betting on players versus the team? And I mean, my majority of bets personally, it's 98 percent teams, two percent player props. Like I don't yeah. touch player props for the most part. So I'll do a little sprinkle because I I think that when you know, especially when you get to baseball season. You may not want to watch an entire game, but you can watch a few at bats. You can dip in and out. And I think no if runs. you get a yeah, well, yeah, no you got a nerf bet right. No runs in the yeah. first or runs yeah. in the first now is what a lot of people are betting. Uh, but I, you know, I like to you know if you can if you can get a good little squad going. Like last year, I did the Jays yeah. a lot because you had Vladdy, you had Bichette, you had guys you could group together in a player prop situation. Hits, runs, it was all kind of intertwined. 
basketball is a little different, right? Like if somebody's off, yeah. they're off. If somebody gets injured in a game, I mean, sure, the same thing could happen in baseball. But if somebody yeah. gets injured in a game, then what? I mean, you know, if you're, yeah, betting yeah. Re- if you're betting rebounds in basketball, think about that. You have to have a couple of things happen. You have to have the other team miss a lot of shots. You have to have your guy underneath the basket at all yeah. times, basically, to drag that rebound in. It can be tricky. If you've got somebody who's got a hot hand in basketball, they may not ever... You That's know, what they I not, was just... They yeah. might not pass the rock up. Correct. If, if, if somebody else on your team's hot, they're going to limit your scoring. Um, coach could limit your minutes. Um, the other team could be playing amazing defense and double teaming you, which there's nothing you can do about it then. Yeah, I mean, as far as player props, like I think it's a novel um, way to take action on the games. But I mean, I do look at them not to be like too terse, but more of like sucker bets um, versus like actually betting on the games or betting on lines and futures. Yeah, um, if you're doing it for fun, one thing. If you're doing it's it because pure, you're going to make money, it's. I think yeah. you're right. It's a sucker play. It's an absolute yeah, it's sucker pure, play. It's pure novelty. Uh, New York sports betting. I want to just slip this in because we did talk about the the entire country. Look at the numbers in New York. Uh, fourth straight month, they've hit over one billion dollars in total handle. Uh, that's you know that's an industry that's four months old in the state. Uh, that's not going anywhere anytime soon. And if you're no. California or Texas or Florida, have a yeah, and nowhere but up. Like, no have a look up. at this. Why are you saying no to this kind of money? Like this is this is free money for the most. Stu- stu- stupidity. I mean, it's the only way that I could chalk it up. It's it's sheer stupidity, and it's a fact that they haven't got their lobbying dollars in line yet, and they haven't paid the right people enough money, because there's no reason why this shouldn't be legal in every state. I mean, it is, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's mind-blowing. The only thing I could chalk it up to is sheer stupidity. It feels that way. It feels that way, because yeah, you must, absolutely. unless you live in a fucking bubble in California, how do you not understand that New York's making a billion dollars a month you know, at least in handle, they're taking it in. Revenue doesn't look the same way, but yeah. still, I mean, there's money. There's money to be made out there. So get your act together, get your lobbying dollars uh, squared away. Caesars Entertainment yeah. reporting a pretty unimpressive first quarter for 2022, despite all of the stuff we just talked about. They generated a wider loss on a year-over-year basis uh, in the quarter. The revenues uh, missed the estimate that was out there, but did increase from uh, this year uh, a year ago uh, quarters levels. So 2021's numbers. Uh, Tom Reeg, who's the CEO of Caesars Entertainment, says our first quarter operating results reflect sequential improvement each month uh, when it comes to the quarter in revenues. Uh, he says our Las Vegas segment posted an all-time first quarter, which I thought was interesting. Something we've kept talking about, you know, throughout the yeah. three months we've been doing this, that Vegas is still doing pretty well for these companies. It's not, yeah. it's not eroding; it's actually improving. Uh, I think Caesars will turn it around. They also talked about the fact that. Uh, you know, they they decided to cut. They cut their marketing spend by two hundred and fifty million dollars. Uh, you know, that's going to have some upside to it when it comes to the bottom line. It's also going to have some downside to it because you're just not going to be as prevalent as the other companies out there, and you're going to rely on your base. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I think Vegas is always going to play the a major part in all of these companies' economics. Um, it's 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 the mecca. It's it's the lifeblood of these companies, and it's their main growth engine. Um, not their main growth engine, but their main profit center, at least for right now. Um, their main growth engine is going to be the ancillary markets that they start to tap into, like New York um, and abroad. Caesars also said that their their break-even point is likely fall of 2023. I thought that was actually a pretty decent estimate. You know, that seems yeah. about on the nose to me. This is still a very, you know, as much as we think of it as a an industry that's been around a long time, it you know, in everybody's backyard, this is almost brand new. The idea that this company is going to break even in, in the marketplace in 2023, the fall, late 2023... I don't think that's that bad. No, I mean, if they can achieve that, it'd be great. But they just set expectations for the market. So if they don't achieve that, good luck. 
um, they're going to get lambasted with uh, with price target cuts and with selling. So, I mean, I do hope that if they if that is their plan, that they do achieve it and they do hit those marks because it'll bode well for so, everybody so involved. If I'm the CEO of Caesars, why am I putting that out there? Because there's no obligation for me to say that out loud. You put that out there to instill confidence or at least set a time horizon as to, hey, we can carry on with this, let's say, irresponsible behavior on the balance sheet for so long. And then here's where we're going to here's where we're forecasting to reach critical mass cut our marketing spend, start to reach profitability, and then really generate uh, generate a bottom line with this business unit moving forward. But it's a double-edged sword because he just relayed to the market, hey, there's a timer on, There's a timer right now. We've got to perform. We've got to meet our marks. We've got to hit our forecasts. And if not, Wall Street's not kind. They, they don't reward that behavior. They, they, they go the very, very opposite direction. I love that. Wall Street's not kind. You should put that on like a back tat or something, especially yeah. this year. That would, uh, I mean, you, you see yesterday, Jay Powell said uh, he only raises rates 0.5 versus 0.75 and the market yeah. goes up a thousand points in like an hour. It's crazy, right? Yeah, it's completely, ira- it's completely irrational right now. Um, listen, do you have a billion dollars kicking around? I wouldn't be here if I did. Okay, fair enough. I thought you were just here for the company. Uh, Caesars I'd be, in spa- I'd, be in, uh, I'd be in a rocket with Elon somewhere. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, Caesars is seeking over a billion dollars for the Flamingo Hotel, obviously a centerpiece really? of the strip. Yeah, the original property was... I have two great... Can I tell my Flamingo stories? I, I've got a pretty good one. You Okay, you go first, because I now I'm going to feel like my mic uh, inferior if you tell yours. I'm going to let you go first, actually, because thinking about okay. it, I don't, I don't know if it should be public-facing. So uh, <laughs> the original property was opened in 1946 by Bugsy Siegel. First time I went to Vegas was in... Uh, well, I was 21 years old. If the, the year I turned 21 would have been 1997. I turned 21 years old. And I went to Vegas with my buddy Brad, and we were in Caesars, and we met this guy. His name is Charles Soriano. And it turns out, and he was calling me Canada, because that's where I live. That's where I'm from. And we, we became really good friends. He was from Chicago. We kind of hung with his crew for the you know a couple of days. And he, I was on a heater. And this guy was back in all my place. And it turns out... His uncle was the guy who basically worked with Bugsy Siegel to to create and come up with the Flamingo Hotel. And I really? think he may have been. Yeah, he may have been connected in some way because he had a lot definitely, of dough. And I remember definitely was connected. <laughs> definitely. Well, he definitely here's was the deal. Me, yeah. and, me and Charlie go drinking. Uh, we were at Caesars. We hit up a couple of other bars. And he's like, you know what? You've been so good to me with your picks. I'm going to send you a little something to the to the room. And he sends me, no word of a lie, like this entire tray, like a rack of lamb and all sorts oh, nice. of like sides. And I, I said to him, I said, this is really nice of you, but I don't have a refrigerator in the room. We're like We were cheap. We were 21. I was a kid. I didn't fucking have a fridge in the room. So he's like, no yeah. worries. Five seconds later, a fucking fridge shows up and then a bar, <laughs> like a mini bar shows up. There's like, my buddy's passed out in bed. There's rack of lamb coming through the, the room. There's refrigerators. There's a mini bar. Like he's stocking my room for me. So I'm, I'm pretty sure he was connected. Uh, but the second story, very quickly, we stayed at the Flamingo for one New Year's Eve, me and my buddy Chris. And Chris uh, at the time was smoking. He doesn't smoke now. Uh, that's not relevant. Well, it's smoking is. Uh, so... The Flamingo's elevators are notoriously fucking slow. Like, you push the button and you're standing there. New Year's Eve in Vegas, forget about it. So it was about 9 o'clock at night. We're waiting to go out. He's like, let's just go find a place in the stairwell where I can have a cigarette because it was a non-smoking room. And then yeah. we'll get we'll get ready for, for the night. We go out, and I swear to God, I'm not ripping this from the hangover. We go out. We find a door in the stairwell. We open the door. We're on the roof of the Flamingo. It closes behind us. The door doesn't have a handle on it on the outside yeah. of the door. 
We are literally fucking stuck over the Flamingo Pit. You know where the buffet is at the Flamingo? Yep. Yeah. So we're stuck over the Flamingo Pit on the roof of the Flamingo trying to find a fucking door. It took us about 15 minutes to find a door. We were trapped <laughs> out there. And I'm like, we're going to get shot. This is New Year's Eve. Yeah, yeah. They don't screw around. We're going to get shot stuck on the fl- the rooftop of the Flamingo. So those are my two Flamingo stores. I'm curious to see who buys it, to be honest. Uh, so on second thought, I'm going to pass on the Flamingo story. Oh, come on. Um, but, uh, but who's going to... I mean, I- I'd be curious to see who buys it, to be honest. Because, I mean, there's a lot of new hotels going up on that strip now that I'm thinking about it. The Seminole Indians... Uh, that own the Guitar Hotel in South Florida, they're they're demolishing the Mirage. Um, I'm pretty sure they bought the Mirage. Yeah. They're demolishing it and they're building another Guitar Hotel um, in Vegas. So I mean, I'd be curious to see if it's Win, if it's MGM, or who puts that new property in because that's a that's a, a prime piece of real estate Huge that the Flamingo is sitting on. Yeah. Right across the street from Caesar's Palace. Um, that's yeah, why yeah. I was kind of surprised that Caesar's was looking to sell it because it's also right next to the lake. Oh, Caesar's, which is one of the Caesar's own it. Caesar's owns it. Yeah, so they're selling this for a billion dollars. Oh, I didn't realize that. I, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't catch that. I just okay. Damn, it's one. Yeah, so, it's one of theirs. So I don't know why they're getting out of the game. Like, I mean, the property alone must be worth something for them. Yeah, I mean, they probably don't want to have to recapitalize the entire property and build a new hotel, which would probably cost. A little bit more yeah, than a billion. Uh, yeah. And it is a hotel that needs it needs some love. There's oh, no doubt yeah. About that. Yeah. Can't believe you're not it needs sharing to be, the Flamingo story. It needs, to be, uh, it, needs to be, it needs to be demolished. They'll build I'm another outside. tower like the Argo or the Cosmo. I'm outside smoking on the roof of the Flamingo and getting rack of lamb delivered to my room and you won't share your story. I feel a little, little hurt. Yeah, a little more... Uh, a little less PG-13. Okay, than, fair. Uh, We're just going to move the, from the, that. The, then. Than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to slide this in as well, because uh, a lot of people are saying, you know, and I get this question all the time, but what, what, you know, what is moving? What is working in the world of, of sports wagering uh, when it comes to a, a market point of view? And one of the companies I do bring up, and this is not a recommendation, I don't do that kind of thing. I'm just telling you, a company that interests me a lot is Fans Unite. Uh, we've had their CEO yeah. on the show. Uh, their company, they just they reported some of their earnings this week. Uh, the company saw a big increase in revenue, and it was a significant jump. Uh, the company saw a total revenue of five point six million in the full year of twenty twenty one, as compared to one point five six million in the full year twenty twenty. Uh, they provide a lot of the background stuff for a lot of these companies, a lot of the the software and the technology. That's always where I look to see where the you know where you can actually make some dough. Uh, that's oh, yeah. a pretty that's a pretty significant leap in revenue. No. Yeah, I mean that's that's. I mean, for for me, when I'm looking at companies' earnings reports, I'm I'm only focused on what the number looks like for sequential quarter over quarter or year over year growth. Um, if you're growing 260 percent year over year, and then you start to dive in, and those numbers are like your recurring revenue, um, then you can start to kind of forecast out what the company's going to look like from a growth perspective. Um, but yeah, I mean, 260 percent year over year revenue growth is fantastic. Um, I mean, that's that, that, that's that's amazing. Um, that that's a company that I'd be taking a serious look at as to why and then how they're going to grow it another 200 uh, percent year over year um, going into the future or quarter yeah, over just, quarter going into the they future. Just, they just signed a massive deal over in Wales with, I believe it's Dragon Bet. So they're they're doing well for themselves. They've got Mick yeah. Bookie. They, they do the back end of that operation. Uh, this is I, I wanted to bring this to your attention because I wonder if you think this is too rigid. Because you live in a world, you live in Florida where, by the way, did you, you know, remember when I was talking a couple of weeks ago about the uh, the Fort Myers dog track, how I always used to go there yeah, when yeah. I was a kid? Yep. They fucking tore that place down. Can you believe did it? Did they? Yeah. That, that whole side of the Greyhound state. Racing is banned. I, I don't, I'm, 
I mean, I've never been a big fan of dog racing. Um, I don't like, I'm not a big fan of animal racing altogether, which is probably why, I mean, but that being said, I mean, horse racing is different. Those animals are treated like, like Ferraris. Like those animals are, are living their best lives. Um, 24 seven dog racing might be a completely different story. There's a lot of abused dogs and sheltered greyhounds. And I've seen a lot of like nasty shit around, around dog racing, which is probably why I've never been to a dog race. Um, but that side of Florida is getting a huge makeover everywhere from Tampa to Fort Myers to Sarasota. Um, there's a real estate boom, um, that's going on there. So I wouldn't be surprised if that track got demoed and then they're building new housing or something on top of it. Yeah, I think they put a polka room on the, the corner of the street and then tore the track down. I didn't know dog yeah. racing had been banned in Florida, though. I was learning all this information uh, think the other day. They did it, like, about a year ago? Um, yeah, about I think a year was, and a half. Yeah. yeah, I think it was pretty recent. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's something that I've never had a uh, an affinity for. I used to go to the dog track when I lived in Sarasota, but it was to play poker. It was to never watch the races. There you go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you, you'll always find something for yourself at a dog track. It doesn't necessarily yeah, yeah. have to be the puppies. Uh, yeah. But I wanted to bring this up because you're in Florida, obviously, and in the United States has had you know pretty much open season when it comes to advertising. Meanwhile, in good old puritanical Ontario, uh, two companies got wrapped in the knuckles. <laughs> it really is. It really is. I, I got no better way to describe this place. It's like we can puritanical have things, but we, Ontario. But we can't have the nice things. We can't just have all the nice things in Ontario. Uh, uh, Bet BetMGM got hit on the knuckles for forty-eight grand. Uh, they had a tweet advertising a two hundred and fifty k launch party that got them in trouble with the AGCO, the Alcohol and Gaming Commission. Uh, they tweeted a uh, ten dollar casino bonus in return for a twenty five dollar bet. Uh, points bet. They also got wrapped on the knuckles. They had some posters on some trains promoting free play. Uh, who who cares? You're either they're fining you're out. They're fining companies yeah. for posters on trains. Yes, puritanical. On why? Trains. See where I'm coming why, from? Now? Why? Why? Why is it? I mean, it's it's like cannabis. Like they rolled. I mean, I, I hate that I bring back everything to cannabis. Um, but I mean, it's probably what I know best, especially on that side of the border. And I mean, when they rolled out cannabis, they legalized the entire thing, but you can't market on your package. It just needed to be like a white package completely. There were no out-of-home advertisements. There were very, very restrictive um, advertising and marketing measures. It's like if you're going to legalize an industry and you're going to signify to the general public that this is fine to do, like you got to let these companies operate and obviously get their messaging out there. Um, I understand like sheltering like kids and like sheltering people that are maybe at risk of either becoming addicted to drugs or becoming addicted to gambling. But that's why there's age restrictions. That's why there's mechanisms in place to to uh, avoid that. But just restrictive marketing and finding companies for petty shit like uh, bonuses and incentives and posters on trains is just completely ass backwards. Because like, what did you think was going to happen when you went to the gambling website? Yeah, you I can mean, only get in and on it if you're over 19 or over a certain yeah. age, depending on where you live. Like what? What did you think was going to happen? There's gambling behind those walls. Like that's Correct. what's going on. Yeah, like, putting yeah. a poster on the train isn't going to turn somebody into an addict. Like, holy shit! Wait a minute, I get a free play. Yeah. Stop the yeah. train, mom. They, they 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 need to look at what cannabis did in the United States. And I mean, it's openly advertised. There there's no laws and regs against the advertising of anything. I think sports betting probably as well everywhere now. There's Caesar shit in every major city, and I'm talking like billboards and murals on the sides of like yep. skyscrapers. Um, and there's not a, there, there's not a rise in, in cannabis use and there's not a rise in, in gambling. 
So, I mean, the, the marketing is not just making people go rewire themselves to go try new things in abundance. Um, it's, it's just helping these companies reach their audience more effectively. Um, if anything, and I mean, I'm, if you're regulating and legalizing an industry, you kind of want it to flourish because you're going to generate the tax revenue from it and you're going to benefit. You don't want it to be restrictive and create what they've created with some of these industries up in Canada. Yeah. And for the record, the auditor general in Ontario expected that the province is going to generate $75 million over the next three years when it comes to sports wagering. So that's the kind of money that's at play there. I would have expected yeah. that number to even be higher. And I think it would be higher that. than that, but that's the number that you yeah. put on the table. Yeah, that's crazy. Cause like I thought you were going to say a little low over three years. I thought you were going to say either per year or like per quarter um, in, in tax revenue. Right. Yeah. Right. Actually, I guess on a billion largest state. So you'd, yeah, and a billion dollars. That and if you did a billion a quarter, that'd be seven seven point five percent. Yeah, I mean, I guess a billion dollars a quarter too is a big, big number. I don't think Canada's going to be doing the numbers it's in not New York. Big. Yeah, it's, no, no, yeah, just, yeah. just volume wise, when it comes to people, I don't think we'd be able to do that. Uh, yeah. It is Miami Grand Prix weekend. Uh, you, of course, are going to be in fine fell. This is your element. This is what you love. Uh, there's somebody making a big uh, case. He's the CEO and founder of Grid Rival, which is a company that does work in the motorsport space. But he's yeah. saying basically that uh, sports wagering is missing an opportunity here when it comes to Formula One, when it comes to the popularity of car racing. I tend to agree with him on this. I think that if you look at the offerings, they tend to be centered around football, basketball, hockey. Car racing sort of takes a back seat. I think the worlds do have some synergy to them. Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, so I'm a big fan of formula one. Like I like yes. to think that I know, I know a decent amount about the sport. I don't even think I, I can't wrap my head around how you would actually bet on it because you'd be betting on the same three fucking people. Every race you'd be betting on Lewis Hamilton, Charles Leclerc, and maybe Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz mixed in with Verstappen um, as well. And I mean, pretty much once the qualifying is set, aside from maybe like a crash or something, there's not a lot of dynamics with with, with, with who's taking the race. Like with, when the grid's set on the race, usually finishes barring some sort of uh, accident how it starts. Um, I don't know if people would be that inclined to bet on Formula One. Or okay, if it would even be that heads? interesting. What about head-to-heads? Okay, yes. That I would right. bet on. So yeah. you got driver I would X bet, against driver Y, maybe I'd bet, in the back of the pack, but who's going to beat whom? Yeah, yeah, I would bet, like, if Danny is Danny Ricardo going to finish above uh, Charles Leclerc? Or, like, is Lando Norris going to finish above Lewis Hamilton? Um, yes, I would. Yeah, that'd be fun, actually. Fastest um, but, lap time. Yeah, okay, yes. Yeah, yeah, I it'd should, be fun to I bet should on. be in this business. I'm killing it right now. <laughs> Yeah, this would be the. I mean, I think this would be the complete opposite of what we were saying with the player props. Um, the driver exactly. props would 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 be the would be the actual bet. The bets um, they'd be the safe bets. Yeah, um, yeah betting it, on the you know, actual. And there's some yeah. science to it too, right? There's some mechanics oh, yeah, to yeah, it yeah, as yeah. well. If you follow somebody, I mean, people like you. I I hate to bring your name into this, but it's the truth. You you follow this pretty religiously. You know yeah. who's great. You know why they're great. You know what makes their car run. That's information, and information for gamblers is oh, yeah, yeah. The, the key. So I think there's there's a, there's room there. I like. Oh, definitely, and it's like, and you could bet like per track. Um, so like if there's certain DRS zones, if there's not a lot of passing zones. So I mean, if you're in a track like I think it is Monaco. So Monaco, it's almost insanely hard to pass. Um, basically, once that grid is set, 
usually finishes exactly how it started, like I said, barring a crash. So, I mean, if I'm betting and Lewis Hamilton's got pole position, I'm betting the house on Lewis Hamilton um, because he's probably not going to get past um, in that race with that track. Um, other tracks, yeah, there's tons of DRS zones and straightaways um, that you can easily pass uh, other drivers. Folks, I've convinced Anthony now. He's betting his house on Lewis Hamilton. So yeah. quickly I turn yeah. him around. Uh, I want to know what you think about this NFT project because I found it kind of condescending and maybe I'm maybe I'm missing something. It's a company called Stakes. They say it ra- they raised $5.3 million for NFTs aimed at sports wagering fans. They're based in New York and they say they want to make sports wagering more social. I think that's a bit of a dig. Uh, but they want to offer a new Web3 experience for fans using NFTs as a reward. Uh, Stakes uh, basically has said digital sports betting increasingly feels like math homework, which I don't feel is the truth, devoid of emotion, energy, and a sense of community that motivates fans. I think this guy's off to a bad start. So basically, they're going to use these NFTs as rewards, combining social media, gaming, and crypto to tap into what he calls uh, sports fans, what sports fans are truly after. Uh, Apparently, there's no money wagered on this website. Uh, You just wager and then get NFTs as rewards. So walk me through why any company would sink money into this idea. Um, Companies would sink money into it for consumer loyalty. Um, So, I mean, for instance, if you're betting on the Arizona Cardinals through their website and they're licensed, like if you win, you probably win like a Kyler Murray NFT or you win like a a DeAndre Hopkins NFT. Um, It'd be better if you were using coins versus NFTs And if you're actually betting with the crypto, you're generating rewards for, let's say, using their native token versus Ethereum um, in the betting process. Um, You could all. Yeah, there's there's way more dynamics to do. But all this is, is a very well engineered consumer loyalty program that's keying in on sports wagering, because what they're going to do is, is they're going to probably go out to the teams and say, hey, you're betting against the Blue Jays and the Marlins. Here's some Blue Jays NFTs. Here's some Marlins NFTs. You're going to get this if it if they win. However, these NFTs are probably going to be worthless. I mean, for the most part, because what are they going to do? Issue them every fucking game? Like, there's a lot of baseball games. Like, there's a lot of football games. Like, the one thing with NFTs is scarcity. It's uh, you, you, need, you need it to be scarce, and you need the supply and demand to be in equilibrium, not just shooting them out every night of the week. Um, so, I mean, I'm curious to see how it how it unfolds i mean i think it's smart um from a consumer loyalty is the guy being a dick though the way he's he's spinning this kind of yeah kind of but i mean they've 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 created a pretty interesting mousetrap i mean with with anything with crypto or with anything in general as far as a digital product goes you need to figure out your top of the funnel so how you're going to get that consumer in whether they're a web 3 or a web 2 consumer it matters and like for instance with only gems like we're we're using analog cards as the top of our funnel. So guys that are breaking uh, cards on Instagram, guys that are breaking cards on whatnot in their actual physical form, we're using them as marketing tools to bring their audiences into our ecosystem and then convert them to Web3 customers. They're doing the same thing. I mean, they're using traditional betting. Um, there's no monetary uh, monetary exchange. They're getting them to, to interact with a Web3 platform then they're also going to reward them with a Web3 product. So they've probably got them after that. I mean, it's pretty smart. Um, it's, it's pretty smart. And it's pretty dynamic. As far as the value to the consumer, it's probably fucking zero. 
um, as as far as everything's concerned, unless they do like rarities and get super dynamic. So if they've got like a Kyler Murray, and I'm only using the Cardinals because it's on their website, but I mean if they're uh, if they've got like a Kyler Murray, like one of one, that goes to whoever placed the largest bet. And if they haven't done that and they listen to this, uh, it's my idea. Another idea coming so, from the uh, show right there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's smart. I mean, I, I'm a fan of any platform that uses Web2 analog and like traditional means to bring consumers into their ecosystem um, and then get them acquainted with Web3. Um, I want to just close with this story. We'll sneak it in. We're over time. But I, I'm curious to get your take because a lot of people ask me about this. And I, 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 you know, I say this to everybody. I've learned a lot from you when it comes to the world of, of NFTs and crypto. And, I, you know, it's it's been a, a learning curve for me over the last few months. But I'm, I think I'm up to speed as much as anybody could be. And, you know, we sit and chat about it a lot. So I kind of am a sponge that way. So I soak a lot of it in. Uh, but people have asked me about, like, why would you want to get and this is the question. I'm sure you get this all the time, too. Why would you want to buy apparel? Uh, when it comes to Web3, why would you want to buy NFT sports apparel or collectibles? And I bring this up because uh, digital sports fashion startup FanCurve announced the launch of its new platform for NFT sports apparel and collectibles. I understand it. I especially understand it if we're talking about something that is unique. But can you explain it to people out there that might not fully comprehend where we're going with this whole thing? All right. So this is probably going to be a pretty strong take. Um I don't agree with their business model whatsoever. Um, I don't think that there's wow. a market really as big as people think for digital wearables. If you look at a company like Nike and Artifact that I own, so I am kind of talking my own bags here, but I've got like Nike shoes that I can wear in the metaverse, but they're fucking Nike. They're not some, they're, they're not some one-off sports jersey or some kind of dynamic uh, wearable that I'm going to bring with me into the metaverse. If I'm in Decentraland or the Sandbox, I'm probably not going to be wearing a Marlins jersey. I would be wearing some sort of Takashi uh, Murakami or artifact like Gucci jumpsuit with my Jordans that are like one of one with like a skin vial that I got from them, which is worth probably like 10 Ethereum. I mean, sure, that'll do. But I mean, people that are just going super broad into wearables or niche into wearables, I think you got to align with a brand. I mean, Gucci's done it. Uh, Gucci actually have it's gotta a- It's got to be about the flex. It's got to yeah, be yeah, about the flex. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's, it's Gucci, Artifact, Dolce & Gabbana. Um, I think I've seen something from Louis Vuitton um, that's coming out. I mean, it's going to be people trying to flex with like Supreme. It's not going to be people wearing like a, a uh, FC Toronto or a Blue Jays jersey or a Marlins jersey um, in the metaverse. That being said, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I could be very wrong, but I don't think that wearables are going to be as big as people think. Yeah, it's going to be the it's going to be the nightclub with the velvet rope, not the hooters down the street. Correct. Correct. Because right. I mean, the people that the, the, the I mean, it, it, it kind of sucks because Web3 right now, I mean, I might be shooting myself in the foot here, but Web3 right now is kind of like elitist um, to an sure. extent. I mean, I'm smart enough to understand that when I've got a fucking five hundred thousand dollar picture of a monkey that is like an identifier of being like early or successful in like web three, like, and then in order to get into that ecosystem, the cheapest way to get into the board apes ecosystem is buying an NFT. That's worth 12,000 right now. Normal people can't do that. Like rational people won't do that. So, I mean, for the most part, like it's, it's, it's a lot of people that made a lot of money in crypto. 
It's a lot of people that are just getting into it because they have money and they understand what's going on, but it's very like elitist right now. And it that obviously resonates when I'm sitting here saying that I think the only wearables that are going to be successful are Nike, Gucci, Louis Vuitton, and Dolce & Gabbana and the, and the likes of them. I mean, that, that kind of brings a certain demographic into the fold. And I mean, that's one thing that I do think NFTs and Web3 need to start to address and start to really think about because well, if there's going to be you, another let me ask you then because I'm, I'm now yeah. i'm super fascinated by this conversation are we going to see like a poor man's metaverse where there's where there is like no a fucking hooters no and, no like, shitty bands down the street like i can watch kid rock and if they the to be Tucker honest and the whole bit to, to, to be honest if there's going to be i kind of want to build it because people drink more bud light than moe and chandon i mean that's for certain um but what needs to happen and i think it's going to happen eventually is you're going to see products come to market that do give the same utility and do give the same flex as like what you're seeing with this Nike stuff and this Gucci stuff, but at a way, way lower price point to where people can actually come in and participate and purchase the stuff and actually be able to, to rationalize spending it. Because I mean, at the end of the day, like I know guys that have like a hundred thousand dollar, like Gucci jumpsuit. That's a fucking NFT. Like what rational human being? Nobody. No, it's crazy. Granted, they bought it for like 5K and it happened to just shoot through the roof, but that's not sustainable. Like the Nike shoes that I got are six What'd grand. To those? Six grand. Still pretty irrational. Yeah. I mean, granted, I've got shoes that I've paid six grand for, like, like sneakers and like uh, Jordans, et cetera. But I paid six grand for a pair of digital shoes that I can't even fucking wear. So I don't you know if I'm the idiot and think maybe this was not a good idea. I mean, it's a good idea because I'll probably be able to sell them for 12 in two months. Right. Like, so the, like the, like the, yeah, it's, it, it's correct. It's, it's like constant value creation that's happening, but it does need to come down to earth to an extent because web three is getting a little elitist. Um, and I mean, you could take that out of the, everything that I just said. Um, I don't even need to say it without saying it. I said it without saying it. You did. You know, yeah. I got to say, um, and I'm, I'm sad that this is at the end of the show. I hope everybody stayed to this point because that is probably, and I'm not tooting our own horn here, uh, the most eye-level conversation I've, ha I've heard about the metaverse and, and what's to come ever. Yeah, I mean, I know it's crazy. I mean, trust me, I, I think about it all the time. <laughs> um, so, so to put it into perspective, oh. I'll, I'll, give, I'll, leave, I'll leave on this point because this is relevant. So yeah. I've been talking about the bored apes forever. I've been talking about the mutant apes forever. I had a bunch of my friends buy mutant apes. A couple of them bought board apes. I've held on for a very long time. So I my entire investment in that was 17 grand. So on Saturday, they did a mint of the land for their metaverse platform. So with that, I was entitled to uh, four claims of land in their metaverse that I got for free. I sold them for $240,000 on Sunday morning cash, cash. Like I, I, I sold that shit. I didn't keep it. I don't want it cash. That was that, that was a dividend, but that is the kind of money that people are pulling out of this ecosystem. And that's the kind of value that's actually being created. Like that was literally out of thin. I mean, it's basically a dividend. So, I mean, it's, it's indicative of $17,000 initial investment. Yeah. Yeah. You turn but I mean, into a quarter mil, that's pretty fucking I, fantastic. I mean, that, Net 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 the position's worth like one point five million. 
um, if you actually add in the ape assets and you add in the ape coin and then you add in the land, um, it's yeah, 17,000 to about 1.5 million um, total. But that being said, there were a lot of people that sold. There were a lot of people that uh, got out and there were a lot of people that that really didn't have faith in it. And I mean, that dividend that I got this weekend in that land is symbolic of my conviction and holding those assets for the past year because I easily could have sold them for a 5x return um, not too long ago. But I mean, that kind of value and those kind of numbers are what's being thrown around. And then what do I do with that money? I go reinvest it right into the ecosystem. I went More and bought shoes the, for you, buddy. I, 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 I swear to God, that's how I bought the I bought the Nikes this weekend. Um, I bought I bought a Clonex, the artifact ecosystem. Um, I bought more land in other in other metaverses. I literally came in, value was created, invested the money right back into the ecosystem. So it's honestly a feedback loop. But the problem is, if more people don't start coming in like me with that smaller amount of money, creating the value and then reinvesting, it's just going to be people like me that keep doing it, and that's not going to be able to perpetuate itself forever. It's not sustainable. No, not at all. Anthony. We went 10 minutes over time today. I think we could go another 20 talking about this because this is fascinating. Yeah, so I, can, I can talk about this shit all day. We will leave it, we will leave it on that. And Oh, I wanted to just very quickly mention, um, my horse for the Kentucky Derby has changed. I sent the name of it to you yesterday. You were probably at the heat game thinking to yourself, what the fuck is this guy doing? What was it, Barbershop? Uh, Barber Road. Barber, Barber Road, Road. Barber Road. So Barber the reason Road. I, and very quickly, I'll just explain this. I was watching the racing at Churchill Downs yesterday. There was a horse and trainer connection that is the same as Barber Road. Uh, this horse yesterday smoked the field. I think he was five, six to one. I expect okay. the same with these connections. I think you can get Barbara Road about 20, 25 to one. Uh, it was second in the Arkansas Derby. I always like a horse that finishes second or third in some of the, the lead up races. Barber Road fits that, checks that box. Watch for it this weekend in Kentucky. If you're watching the, the, the Kentucky Derby at Churchill or around North America, I would, again, it's not investment yeah, yeah. advice. It's not betting advice, but that's where my money is going. Yeah, totally. I'll, I'll follow you on. The, I'll follow you on that. Like I admitted on the last episode, I'm not really too apprised to what's going on in the uh, in the equestrian sector. So yeah, I'll realm. follow you on that. Yeah, the pony realm. Thank you, sir. We'll talk next week. Yeah, talk soon. Subscribe to Guaranteed Money wherever you get your podcasts, and find out more details at thedalesreport.com. Don't forget also to check out our YouTube channel for more content.